how much do you know or care about data privacy? As the pace of change accelerates in our industry, how do we keep data privacy and data responsibility at the forefront? And why should we? We're going to explore those questions in today's podcast, which is part of a series in partnership with Tomorrow's Own. Today, Deborah Rubin interviews Anurban Basik, founder and CEO of Fortif ID and a fellow at MIT Connection Science. Fortif ID is a commercial implementation of Open Algorithm, otherwise known as OPAL, which was introduced at MIT Connection Science in the book, Trust Data, a new framework for identity and data. And of course, many of you know Deb Rubin, who is founder and CEO of Tomorrow's Own, a consulting firm inspiring both futuristic thinking and action to innovate in equipment finance and beyond. Tomorrow's Own works with leaders and teams who want to leverage technology to drive innovation, enhance customer experience, and grow their businesses. If you want to quickly comprehend the current state of your processes and technology to reveal the big picture and reimagine for the future, while uncovering non-obvious profit potential and open new growth options for your business, Tomorrow's Own can help. If you feel stuck in the status quo and need a fresh perspective, Tomorrow's Own can be a strategic thought partner to help you see around corners and create short-term wins with long-term scalability in mind. Learn more at www.tomorrowzone.io. Before Deb, and Arnaban begin, I want to tell you about my team's latest project, which I'm really, really excited about, Monitor Suite. Monitor Suite is the preeminent subscription platform for exclusive premium equipment finance industry content and much more. It features high quality streaming series like Three Minutes with industry leaders and our documentary video series, Reels. Monitor Suite members also have 24 seven access to our entire library of in-depth data reports like the Monitor 100 dating back to 1992. Members only live stream events, exclusive articles and much more. For more information, visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite is actually a project that I've been working on this year during my time in cohort two of Stripe's leadership program, which just happens to be today's podcast sponsor. Stripes is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry. This 10-month program launches with a three-day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry and leadership experts, working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes has been a phenomenal experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. I'm so thrilled to have Anurban Basak here with us for this edition of the podcast. Technology plays a huge role in enabling a lot of the innovative pursuits that are going on right now, but it's important that we step back and think different about what we're doing with data and ethically, what are our responsibilities as professionals, as businesses, and what can we do about it? What's possible now, but also let's look to the future and explore a little bit of what's next. Welcome, Anurban. Let's dive thank, in. Thank you very much for this opportunity and chance. Thank you very much. What is it that you're doing today, but also what were some of the key events that led you to focus on the work that you're doing today? Absolutely, Deb. So, I'm a mechanical marine engineer, spent about 10 years in the Merchant Navy, 
became a chief engineer, and then after B school, went into the banking space. Now, the banking space was initially in the most structured and the behemoth, the Welt Oil Organizations, Capital One, Washington Mutual, JP Morgan Chase, and then subsequently several stints in various capacities in the fintechs of the world. In this entire journey of about two decades, two problem statements which I was observing as a constant dwindling of portfolio economics, and that's a very big chapter, what I mean by that in retail financing, accounts are done on a unit account economics called NPV per account, and I was observing that going down and down for multitude of reasons, and there's got to be a way to solve for that. That was one thing. And the second part was a complete disregard and disrespect for people's personal data across two decades of my working there. It got more and more prolific across the last 10 years, but it is no different than me taking a car without asking you and doing whatever I want with that. The organization would take your first name, last name, DOB, SSN, and do whatever they want with that. So that was the most scary part. And where does this end? If this continues, at least there was a time when people walked in flesh and blood into a, br into a brick and mortar facility, they could see you. Now the world is digital, they can't even see you. And there are scary stories about a second person using your PII and living a full life without you even knowing about it. The world of synthetic fraud, which has opened up. Big money for the data providers, but just look at an individual, how scary that is. There's a second Deb somewhere in the world who's living a life, taking loans on your name and having an existence. How scary is that? So let's try and solve for that if at all possible. That's the background. And then the opportunity was learning from Dr. Sandy Pentland at MIT, who was the founder of this concept, Opal, and connecting the dots together was a thing that I said, maybe there was a way we could solve this, but it's going to be extremely disruptive and onerous because it means everybody has to play a role for this to change because we don't live in silos. It's an ecosystem we live in, and the ecosystem has to change technically, conceptually, philosophically, and as a behavior for things to turn around. It can't be just one thing doing, technology doing, and the rest everybody says, I don't care. Everybody has to care. And that was the fortified creation and what we are doing today. After five years, immense blessings and people's support, organizations helping. We have reached a point where now I think the needle has started to move, though very little, but if this momentum continues, it might get a better place to live in in the future. That's the short story, short answer to your question. I really hope there isn't a second Deb living a parallel life somewhere. That was a little bit scary. Could you say a little more about the Opal project that you mentioned? So Opal's O-P-A-L, what does that stand for and what is it? Opal stands for open algorithms. So MIT has a concept called trust data, which is a part of MIT that was Dr. Sandy Pentland's creation. So what does OPAL simple, simply means, which is trust data, means stop sharing raw data and its attribute format, only transfer information. Putting it in context, when lending companies collect people's PII at the application stage, they do verification, authentication, credit policy underwriting for the purpose of offering a loan. In this entire space, they need access to more and more historical data about the individual to make a decision. In this entire process over the last two decades, 
every second day some new company would show up saying that we have more data about an individual buy it from us and then it seems selling data is a very good business it's good roi so all these lending companies in an effort to make better decisions they constantly keep plugging to these data providers and the way this mechanics work is you connect to the providers the providers transfer the raw data to you you means the bank fintech credit union and now these institutions hold on to this PII, which is inadvertently somebody's personal data. Now with data protection regulations, the responsibility of mining and guarding this sits with the banks, fintechs and credit unions. Over the past few years, if you observe, these places have become a haven for breaches and hackers because they just breach them with impunity. Now you are doing your job of doing a better decisioning on an account. So you buy data and why you buy data because there is the suspicious activity related fines by FinCEN. If you don't do this, you get punitive fines. So you're trying to comply with the regulations, do your job, you buy data. You're doing a good job of holding it and mining it, but the breaches and hackers are hacking on you. And then you pay a punitive fine. If you combine all this together, uh, then how do you make portfolio economics work in a credit card or auto finance or equipment finance? Knowing one thing very well that over the last two decades, there's been a gruesome war between all the lenders. They all want to cut APRs to make their product more appealing to customers. So I offer somebody 5.5%, next guy's gonna say 4.5%, but the moment you do that, you are eroding front-end revenues. So on one hand, you're bleeding on your revenues, and then organizations have come up with rewards, points, currencies, which essentially means, again, you're depleting on your revenue sources. And on top of that, there is this constant burgeoning cost of data mining, holding, verification, suspicious activity-related fines, and then on top of that, breach fines, manual intervention of verification authentication, and that's growing bigger and bigger each day. The regulations are just turning into a nightmare for these banks. Talk to anybody in the banking space, their biggest problem are regulators and all these things that's constantly evolving. So on one hand, you're losing on revenue. On the other hand, you're constantly exploding on costs. Revenue minus expenses, simple MBA mantra is definitely destined to be less than zero. That's been the observation over the last two decades my earlier days in capital once in the fintechs, how do you solve for this? If revenue is a constant war between companies, you have to find a way to reduce expenses per account. If you do an NPV per account deep dive of any kind of a loan asset class, you will see a big chunk of it is cost of onboarding, cost of acquisition. To that, a subline is the data cost management, handling, analysis, technologies, etc. And all this is a function of the way the system works. You transfer raw data from the providers to the consumers. But if you look at what the bank wants to do, they just want to get is debt equal to debt? Yes or no? Simple. Just give me that answer. I can go on with my life. We are a one-stop shop connected to all these providers. And then we don't transfer raw data. We only transfer information, thus helping the banks reduce customer friction, cost of onboarding, and then potential punitive fines in case they ever get breached. And breach seems to be the new normal today. Anybody and everybody's getting breached. That's the reason why Fortified exists. Hopefully, 
this is going to benefit data providers and consumers in managing their businesses better. And also to be fair to the individual, yourself, myself, because our PII is getting traded between them, they should be accountable to what's happening with our PII. Otherwise, it's a really a wild west. In this mechanism, at least what you're doing is you know where your PII is coming from, information for that. Inadvertently, you're reducing your personal data footprint in the ecosystem. And if someday consumers, data consumers, put a regulation stating that we will only collect information from the legit providers, not the aggregators, over-aggregators, over-aggregators, then at some point, if everybody does their job, then we'll have a better ecosystem to live in. That's the extension of Fortified. You said something really interesting. You use the term zero emission of raw data. And it sounds like you might be alluding to the data is the new oil. Is that what you're connecting to? And what do you mean by that when you say zero emission of raw data? Yes. What I mean by that, and you're correct on that, it's tied to that emission concept of the internal combustion engines. And in our world, it's, it basically means that the providers will not emit raw data anymore to the data consumers. Only information, assertions, claims will be passed on. An analogy would be in an electric car, transmission to the wheels happens through a mechanism which is not energy created from internal combustion engines called fossil fuels. Same way over here, the functioning of a learning asset class, verification, authentication, will happen through information claims, assertions, and not raw data emission from the providers to the data consumers. So life goes on without the extra baggage of all this stuff which happens when you transfer raw data. So hence, zero emission of raw data ecosystem is what we're trying to create on this platform. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Could you say a little bit of that circle of trust concept? Because that's new. You mentioned not going to the aggregators, but going to the true trusted sources. What does that mean to you? Under the data protection regulations today, individuals have what's called right to accuracy and delete. That's a very big topic meant for the lawyers to speak. What I mean by that is in a decisioning process, let's say you applied for a loan, et cetera, and the bank says, because your identity could not be verified. You have a right to accuracy on that. Who said that you're not verified and that institution is accountable for that. Now, in this entire platform, what we are doing is we are trying to go to the source of truth of the data collectors. What I mean by that is the bureaus who are the legit defined sources of collecting people's financial information, the telecom providers, the DMV systems, not the many companies who collect from them, collect from other sources, and then keep on layering data on top of each other. That's what we are gonna completely avoid in this. And the reason is that we're gonna call them the Trusted Data Network Consortium. This is also a, a term which came out of the MIT Trust Data concept, where all these companies are basically collectors of the source of truth if you do a zero by zero coordinate, they are sitting on zero, zero. But there's a white paper which we wrote explaining that in much more detail, but you are at the zero, zero coordinate, event time and collection of data. So that's the members we have in the Trusted Data Network Consortium. On the flip side, uh, the, there's gotta be a usage for this. So we are saying use this concept towards customer onboarding for lending institutions. 
if this becomes the normal way, and then on our platform, we have ways of maintaining lineage. What I mean by that is, if we had to look you up into five sources of information, we would exactly know your first name came verified from three out of five, and which two out of five said no. So in other words, if there's a dispute tomorrow or an audit, or let's say the bank had to do a recalibration of the algorithms, we would exactly know which way to go and do a pull up and you could actually challenge them. My first name is Deborah, you are wrong. And there's gonna be an assertion going back over there saying that you guys need to correct your information. Type to see and delete. That's the application of this concept because when I was building this dev, because I came from the banks, one thing that I wanted to keep in mind was you come up with a concept and go and tell somebody, spend a ton of money because this is something cool and it's going to make your life better. Chances are no one's going to buy that because everybody's struggling with resources today. But if you find a way to embed that in the ecosystem where economics becomes a way for driving a benefit, people accept that more easily than just spend money because it's a good thing to do. So hence, the concept of Opal was data consumers benefit, data providers benefit. It makes the ecosystem much more friendlier. And then the individual also benefits in the long run whose information is getting traded in the entire system. So win for all three members of a digital ecosystem. That was the rationale behind the Fortified application. What do you think is something that makes the fortified approach different from the way that this problem is typically solved with other um, solutions? Good question. So when I go and sell my platform to bank customers and I say, we are offering consumer income business inside solutions to help your customer onboarding, and it comes down to those basic abbreviations, KYC, KYB, et cetera. The question becomes, so many people offer that, why are you different? The many people who offer that, A, sometimes you are stuck with many connections. So in our case, it becomes a one-stop shop. So you connect to one, you don't have to worry about its multiple connections. Overall reduces your vendor management cost of onboarding, et cetera. That's one part of it. Second part of it is, in our platform, we never collect people's raw data. So the entire platform works in a concept called a transaction identifier, which converts the first transaction into a digital format to be used in future for collecting raw data from the providers if the consumers need it. So if we ever get breached, no problem because you will get nothing out of us. Compared to many one-stop shop providers that you have in the ecosystem, if they get breached, they are completely exposed. If you thought Equifax getting breached had ramifications in the ecosystem, look at those many companies who collect from these providers and they collect more and they collect more. What happens if they get breached? An individual is completely exposed in the ecosystem. So that's different about us. And then because we, are, we have this trusted network consortium, we are cherry picking providers and their sources of truth, we expect fraud rates to get better. And last but not the least, data consumers, when they work with us, they reduce their obligations and the storage responsibilities. So hence, if they ever get breached, their punitive fines are substantially reduced. Better exposure risk in terms of fines in case that even ever happens.
that's the different part about our system compared to our other members in the society. So what's an example of a trusted data provider, a source that you connect to to provide those insights? In our network, we have Equifax, we have Experian, we have LexisNexis, the sources of truth. Then we have the driver's license record system, which is Samba Safety. Then we have the telephone record systems like Ikata, Newstar. The main sources of truth, not the layers beyond that, the many companies which connect to these and collect and store data on top of this, we're not connecting to them. So the sources of truth is what we're going after. Excellent. With all of this work that you're doing to create a new type of solution to a very old and very common problem, what are your thoughts on what's possible now for automating and streamlining and making it safer to do the KYB and KYC activities that are so necessary, but then also what do you see on the horizon? What's possible for the future? Very good question. This has been a big challenge for us. So when we disrupt an ecosystem, there's the mind tends to say, let's solve for everything. But then in this ecosystem, everybody has to move slowly and steadily. So we had to pick and choose what we can accomplish first and then build on that. Because if the system has to work, we also have to convince the regulators that the system is working well. There's no discrimination, there's no racial bias, et cetera, towards customer onboarding. Things are transparent and things are working. So when we designed this, our story was we'll focus on the non-FCRA functionalities, KYC, KYB, verification of income employment solutions, because that's simpler to implement with the trusted data network consortium members. And then the reason and the output becomes a binary output like deb is equal to deb or not equal to deb, and then the onboarding happens. That's what we are going live, and we are earning the trust of our customers and the providers. They all see, yes, this is a value add for them. Regulators are also happy with that. The benefits of this become very prominent and pronounced once we work in the space of credit policy underwriting, because that's when we're talking of handling gigantic amounts of raw data. That's the part which is presently work in progress. And we are working through a concept called trusted execution environment right now, which essentially means you can also do risk modeling, linear logistic on the platform. And now the data consumers, the banks, fintechs, credit unions will not have to store all that raw data towards doing this. That's work in progress. That's the next step. Once we make all this work, then it actually becomes a zero emission of raw data ecosystem. That's the immediate roadmap. What would help is outside the immediate two beneficiaries of this, the data consumers and providers, individuals also start to make the world realize that they care about their personal data. It's like an analogy which I've used in the past is, it took some while for the world to realize that mental health matters. When people started speaking, Organizations took notice of this. Now, corporate organizations are putting effort towards ensuring people's mental health matters. At some point, individuals have to make their voices heard that you can't just abuse my personal data. It's my first name, my last name. Respect it. Just don't trade it with impunity. Just like you would get angry if I took your car away. You should get angry. You should 
voice your opinion if somebody took your first name away, last name away, and started trading that and making money. Once individuals start to make a noise and make themselves heard about this, I think the trading partners of that people's data information, data providers, consumers will take a better notice of this and the needle will start to move better, faster and more prominent, harder, et cetera. That's the wish, but that's where I see the future of this. Right now we are the non-FCRA space. So that's a really interesting way to imagine the future of innovation around data privacy. What could innovators do to intentionally bring that kind of thinking into their innovation pursuits now? So for this to be success, more and more data consumers, as in lenders, should participate as proof of concepts because Workflows vary from company to company. If you talk to a captive independent, everybody has their own workflow. The more they participate, the more it makes easier for us to make modifications, work with them, and make it more seamless and efficient so that they don't feel it's a burden for them to try to change behaviors and work this way. So if they step up, believe in this transformation and journey, start participating in whatever small capacity, proof of concepts, allocating resources towards believing in this and driving this, then everybody starts to jump in and this makes a much better value proposition and it starts to get traction. So what I would think is if these organizations believe in this concept, they participate in whatever small capacity and start joining this revolution. Say what's not working, that gives us a chance to fix it. And together we have to fix it. It can't be just four or five, get up and say, okay, let me solve the problem. You have to do this together because an individual's benefit, the ecosystem becomes better. I love that. So we've been exploring the human side of innovation and specifically responsibilities that all innovators have around data privacy, but also you talked about individual responsibility to make our voices heard in terms of the importance of maintaining our data privacy. So one of the things I always ask our guests is what's one thing that people could do today to shape a better tomorrow? So you use the word people over here. This In our ecosystem, people is an individual, people is a member of the data consumer, people is a member of the data provider. The unfortunate part is that people whose information raw data gets traded is that individual who also belongs to the provider and consumer. So very step number one, my wish would be the individual called the, the human, they start making their voices heard. It matters to them. So that's step number one. Once that becomes sufficiently loud and they understand the rights given to them by the data protection regulations, CPRA, CCPA, GDPR, and I believe every state in the United States is today creating its own versions of that. Know your rights. Once you do that, you make yourself heard. I know organizations are doing their part to make them compliant to this regulatory world. Having said that, it's going to have implications on their revenues in multiple capacities, which I think is not surprising to anybody. So when these organizations start to hear the voice, they're making efforts and then leadership in these data consuming companies make the first step to say that when we decision an individual, we want to be transparent with you that we sourced your information from a legit provider and not some fly by night data aggregator. And there's a lineage 
because there's an ecosystem supporting. That becomes the first step. And I know providers, I'm working with them, they want to do this much better. So everybody's doing their part. But I think the individuals have to make their noises heard much louder and better and prominently to these big organizations. I just gave you a big wish list. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I think that's really important. And I love the way that you brought it right back around to the individual. We need to be aware and we need to understand our rights around data privacy. And then also if we're consumers of that data, equipment finance companies, software companies, whatever your role might be in that ecosystem, understand your responsibilities in this rapidly changing regulatory landscape. Yes. An example, if I can have your permission to share that recently, Fortified uh, taught as a case study in a business school in California. And while I was talking to the students in the class, I asked them, does privacy matter to you? And many kids said, no. Uh, Who cares if somebody has my information? Then I put that thing into context to one lady in the class. I said, sometimes you probably go to a 7-Eleven or some liquor store to buy liquor. And she goes, yes. I said, one thing that person would have asked you is proof of age. And what did you do for that? She says, I showed him my driver's license. So I said, now just break this thing up. All he cared was, are you equal to you? And is your age greater than 21? That was a piece of information asked. But when you flashed your driver's license to that unknown person, you basically told that person what your name is, what your date of birth is, and what your address is. Do you realize you did that? And she says, no. I said, that's what happens when you flash raw data versus information only. If these things could be educated more in the society, I think the new generation will be much more proactive. And if they start making this a behavior, then life becomes pretty transformative. Thank you so much for that vivid example. And I think we're going to wrap with that. Thanks so much. Like always, so. Pleasure talking to you and love the work that you do as well. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation in today's podcast, and I hope that you did too. I wanted to highlight a few of my biggest takeaways from this conversation. Number one, many people have a complete disregard for personal data. It's important to be proactive in protecting your data and the data of your customers. Second, in the future, lenders and borrowers may not share raw data, but instead engage in a zero emission transfer of information. That will be definitely something interesting to look forward to in the future. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.